0: Welcome to the Haber Show, finals, game one in the books. I bring on David Fizdale, former head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies and New York Knicks, but also Eric Spolster's number two for the Miami Heat's championship runs. So as a diehard Lakers fan growing up with two championship rings, Fiz has lots to say about this drama-packed NBA Finals matchup. We'll get into how the Heat fight back, Goran Dragic and his injury, Revisiting the 2011 NBA Finals with LeBron and Dallas. We'll talk about Anthony Davis, best big man in the NBA. And Fizz shares an unbelievable Kobe Bryant story. We'll get into the whole COVID, Black Lives Matter movement. We got into it all. Uh, one of my favorite pods yet. So uh, let's just get right to it. Without further ado, David Fizdale, the guy everyone knows as Fizz. All right, Fizz. The Miami heat are reeling right now. I don't know if it's close to worst case scenario game one against LeBron and the Lakers, but um, 75 to 30 run at one point, the Lakers went on Goran Dragic uh, tore his plantar fascia uh, look reportedly uh, Bam Adebayo had a shoulder strain and left early. And as a former associate head coach under Eric Spolster for the Miami Heat during championship runs and also as a head coach from Memphis and New York. How do you regroup after such a game that we saw from Miami last night where it just seemed like everything was falling apart?
1: Well, I think it's, it's you know, what I know Spo was saying to them is it's the finals, it's one basketball game. I don't care if you lose by 1,000. That counts as one. So get over the, the, the distance of the win. That's what I would be telling my team. And, and you know, really, which I'm sure Spo already prepped him because I just know the guy, to win the finals is a war of attrition. And you warn your team that things are going to happen along the way where you will lose some of your soldiers next to you, some of your brothers. And so the next man has to be ready to step up. And that's what I would be preaching to him, which I know he is his next man up. I know he was, you know, watching the end of that game. I'm sure he was pleased with the fact that they kept fighting and that he got to see some other guys get a little rhythm. So you probably see some Olenek maybe, you know, guys that didn't play the first time. Obviously, none has to play for him, which maybe you don't know how that works out. Maybe this wasn't a series for Gorn as much as it was for none. Because one thing I know about Gorn. Gorn struggles finishing with his right hand and if the Lakers keep pushing them to that right hand and they got those seven you know, those eight footers back there it's hard to get a shot off when you're trying to bring it back to your left hand against those guys all the time so you don't know none is a little more crafty with those finishes with either hand and getting to different places on the floor so that may be a boost for them instead of a detriment and no one wants to see Goran Drogic get hurt I love that guy he's like one of my favorite people but You don't know how these matchup things work and what skill sets fit, what series and things like that. Obviously I'm being optimistic because I'm I'm thinking about how would the heat be thinking, how do we pick our guys back up? But, you know, when you have a guy who finished second in in rookie voting in that same position that you lost, that's pretty It's like a free agent
0: pickup. It's just. Yeah.
1: That's huge. That wasn't that, that you weren't counting per se. Yep play a lot of minutes in that series. So that could be a good change up, you know, to, to, to throw him into that mix, build his confidence up. He can end up being a guy that really impacts. And I think they're bigs, like you said, you know, cause the Lakers are so massive. I don't know if the heat will be able to get away with their small ball, like they have up to this point. And so the Lakers may have to play a little more Olenek, a little more uh, uh, Miles Leonard guys that are big, but, you know, maybe not as athletic as the Lakers' bigs, but they could stretch the floor and pull them away from the rim some, yeah, yeah. and give you some kind of rim protection against all of that length and and offensive rebounding. So there's some things that the Heat can can absolutely do to change the way that game looked. But ultimately, you know, I know Spo was saying seven game series where the where the underdog team that was a road game in LA we lost by whatever. It's just one game. Let's come back and play game two.
0: So it's. Let's talk about the Goran thing because you hit it on there is that he's been playing great, but might be a tough matchup against this Lakers team. But take me back to 2015 or 20, 2015 when the Miami Heat are, you know, just coming back from an all-star break. Uh, Dwayne Wade, Assam Whiteside's coming up big, CB, Chris Bosh is doing well. He goes down to Haiti to go on like a little vacation with D-Wade and comes back and finds out. Hey, you know we just got a trade for Goran Dragic. You know you're a coach, and you just swung a deal for a guy who just came off a Most Improved Player of the Year uh, award. Phoenix, you gave up, you know, a bunch of picks to get him. Got a great pick and roll guy with with Chris Bosh. And then what
1: happened? Unfortunately, Chris Bosh got blood clots, and it was really it was really a, a, a devastating blow to us because you know. Well, I remember Spoh and I, we were in New York playing the Knicks and uh, we found out we got Gorm. We're celebrating this incredible, you know, all pumped. We're we're thanking Pat. Like, yes, you got us a point guard. We're ready. We got a chance to get back in the fight, you know, and literally the next morning it was like uh, we got the news that Chris Bosh got a blood clot and that he's done for the year. Like, maybe his career. And to get all of that I just out of nowhere, the next day was just like so crushing uh, and, and devastating, you know, uh, and more us for him. We, we just felt so bad for CB because he's I mean, you think about what CB would have been able to accomplish, uh, you know, in all of these years of, of, uh, that he missed uh, as a player. I mean, this hit him right in the prime of his career while he was, you know, you know one of the most dynamic big men in the league.
0: And, and in this era,
1: like and you're talking in this era, I mean shooting, hosting. You put CB
0: in a lab, like you put him. That's what you want. <laughs> That's what you want. Yeah.
1: That's what you want, right? Like he guards. He's, he he can shoot. He's a great character guy. Like all of those things that you want, uh, CB had it, and, and the fact that his career was just stopped uh, was just devastating. And even to this day, I still even talking about it. It kind of still gets to me because I know what that meant to him. Uh, you know, losing his career to something that you can't see to something that, you know, it's nothing like you can like really do anything about. And so for us as a team, obviously it crushed us, but getting going and seeing going now, you know, really contributing and, and he's a, he's a part of the DNA of the heat, his makeup, who he is as a person, his toughness, because I guarantee you right now, if that plantar of fasciitis didn't tear and it was just a just if it was ready to tear, he'd still be playing. That's how tough he is. And so and he did uh, still play. You know, Fizz, like what people don't
0: realize is like we watched that clip of Goron going, you know, looking at his foot, like, what was that what was that about? What's wrong? Right? <laughs> like that worried me because of course we saw KD and and Kobe and all these guys yeah. with Achilles tears, like, look down like someone kicked him in the heel. And so I was at first, I was like, oh no, that's that's Achilles. not a good sign for an Achilles, but he played six possessions after that. He was running a and fast. You can't do that
1: with Achilles.
0: Can't do that, man. Like, so I was like, okay, so it's not an Achilles. And then he comes out for like a minute, and then Spo puts him back in for another six possessions in that in that second quarter. Mm-hmm. And he was clearly limited, but I don't think anyone was watching the game and and realizing that he was seriously hurt because that's right. that's Gorham. Like He's, he's going to oh. fight through something like that. He's super tough. Um, if you've seen him over the years, remember the time when he had – forget the, how it happened, but he, his eye was uh, blown up shut. He got a black eye, and he couldn't see out of his eye,
1: and he still played through it. It was just insane. No, um, this kid – yeah. They come from a different, from a different cloth, uh, he and his brother both. you know, They grew up in, in some tough circumstances overseas – They've seen some really tough times and some some difficult things in a in a country that had been through a lot. Um, and so, you know, they kind of like Gorn is built like his ideas, it's all or nothing. Like, I'm going for bus. Like, I'm giving I'm putting everything I got into this because I've seen what the other side looks like. And it's, he just has that attitude. He reminds me so much of a tough kid from the neighborhood in America from that standpoint. Like it's all chipsy in you know and, and you know what you're not going to do is you're not going to punk him. He is a tough cookie. You might be better than him. You might be faster or whatever, but you know when you play against him, he's going to bring it. And this playoffs is a testament to that and and his performance and his toughness is a big reason why the Heat leading uh, score yeah. in the finals. Leading score in the postseason heading into this game. Just um, unbelievable. It's going to be a it's going to be interesting to see how that works out.
0: Yeah, and I um It's, it's heartbreaking in the same sense that what happened with Chris Bosch is kind of happening right now where Gron finally gets that moment of like, all right, let's go. I made it to the finals. Let's, let's do this thing. And then in the opening, you know, court, you know, the second quarter, just a freak thing happens and, you no, know, he's battling. You see, like the the knee brace on his other leg. You know, this guy is not a hundred percent, obviously. No. And so, him fighting through in the the rest of that second quarter and trying to gut it out, and then obviously not coming back for the second half. It was it was tough for the Heat because you look at that starting lineup that they had with Goron um, and Jay Crowder was just gangbusters in the in the postseason and at the end of the regular season. What you saw was in the first quarter when they great. had that fat that five man lineup on the floor. They crushed the Lakers 23-10 to 10 before you know, Bam picked up the two fouls and they had to uh, bring in some whole subs. The whole game changed. The whole game changed. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think was the bigger blow to the Heat's chances? Was it Bam out of Bios, two quick fouls there, or was it you know, Goron's foot injury in the second quarter when things were starting to unravel?
1: I think probably more Bam because they really need Bam on the floor with all of that size. You know, they gotta have somebody that can compete athletically and physically against the guys that the Lakers are. I mean, you look at LeBron, A D, uh, Morris, uh, Howard, and they but JaVale is still sitting over there, obviously, but they are mountains. These do, this is one of the biggest basketball teams that, that we've ever seen. Kuzma yeah. is huge for <laughs> for uh, LeBron a is students. a
0: center starting at at, at- Small At point point guard, guard, basically. Yeah, point guard. Essentially,
1: yeah. He's point he's four three something. I don't know what number you want to put, but in most
0: eras, he's he's a center. Like he's huge.
1: He's he's, he's enormous. massive. And so I think having Bam out there without foul trouble is a critical. It's, it's a non-negotiable. You need if you have any chance of beating the Lakers, Bam out of bio has to be on the floor and contributing for you. Whereas that's why I said I think it's going to be interesting to see, as great as Goran have been in the playoffs, is this a better series for none because he's a little more crafty and wiggly and can get places and you know uh, you know those guards throughout the playoffs against the Lakers have has had some success. The crafty you know and obviously no one is Dame Lillard or Jamal Murray, right. but it's that same thing of skill set of being able to get wherever you want to go on the floor. And make shots from there, and I think that's the one limitation Gorn may have with his right hand finishes and short shots in the lane against all of that length, especially when Danny Green and, and, and Rondo and Kentavious Caldwell-Pope are pushing him, not letting him get to his left hand. Come hella high water, and uh, so we'll be interesting to see what they when they try that with none him being a lefty, but a little better going right. Can he go create and make wreak some havoc? But the heat, we'll see. Yeah, did That's you see what the
0: Le- match. they I mean, they had an amazing game one. Lebron, um, they they sent doubles early on Lebron, and and it's so hard. It's pick your poison against him. Like you either try to match up straight up with Lebron, and he's gonna see above the defense, or if you throw two at him, he's gonna find the open man. Whether it's the direct assist or it's gonna be the hockey assist, and he's right. just gonna pop, pop, pow, and get an open shot. So he has you know a really solid game. Anthony Davis is just a monster. I mean, he had four dunks. He had a, a few mid-range J's, a couple three-pointers. He, I mean, anytime he's around the basket, the Heat just had to had to, you know, hack him because he's he's a bucket, right? So LeBron after the game, you know, they were up by a billion points at one point, and then they had a tough time, you know, maintaining that down the stretch with the Heat guys, um, like Kendrick Nunn and Olinick doing well. They asked him about. You know how he feels after Game One. He's like, "Man, I this ain't nothing. We haven't done anything yet." Because it still burns me to this day what happened against Dallas. So, what happened against Dallas, Fizz?
1: 2011. Well, we celebrated. It's, it's, it was that simple. It's game two, we're up 14, and uh, I want to say D Wade hit a three.
0: Yep, corner, corner in front of the, Dallas three bench. Front okay. of the
1: bench, and we're up. It's seven minutes to go, basically, and our you know, our guys are celebrating and really took their, their foot off the gas. And, you know, it was the weirdest thing. I've even gone, I've gone back and watched it. It was just such a weird moment in time where it wasn't even like a lack of respect for Dallas. It was more like, man, we can get these dudes down too well now. And it was like, we just had this exhale and Dallas stole that game. And ultimately Jason I Terry that, just
0: was unreal. Like, yeah, and that there.
1: game ultimately being, I think, that the biggest difference in the whole series was that one game we let get away. Um, you go into Dallas 2-0, it it, it totally changes the trajectory of the series, and, uh, you know, that'll be one that'll stick with all of us, you know, anytime we're in that position. Uh, I think we all still feel that burn, so I, I guarantee you if it was – on the other foot where the heat were up like that, spoby saying the same thing, like, oh, I remember Dallas. I'm not celebrating, you know, because it's for all of us, I think it just it just left such an indelible mark on us that we, you know, you learn like a little kid, don't burn your hand on the stove. You know, it's hot. And so we've all learned that lesson. And I think that LeBron is smart enough to know the heat isn't the kind of team or organization you want to start, you know, counting your counting your eggs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, before that. So. I
0: mean, LeBron is now two and eight in game ones in the finals and he's, you know, won a bunch of championships. So what's your philosophy on game one? Is it a feel out game? Is it you throw all your chips on the table or do you hold some stuff in your back pocket? Cause I saw Spo didn't go zone nearly as much as he did in past uh, series. Do you expect major adjustments here? Or do you think Spo is going to look at this and say, look, they're not going to hit all those open shots again. Like, we're going to continue with the game plan that we would had in game one and see if we get better results in game two.
1: I think he'll tweak some. I think the biggest thing he's going to emphasize to his team is competition and, and being uh, much more competitive in the physical areas uh, because you don't have a choice against the Lakers. If you're not matching them in the trench, they're going to just roll right over you, and that's what you saw. So I think he's gonna hammer that home, but I definitely think he's gonna emphasize and, and make some some distinct adjustments that gives them a better chance of winning games. But game ones usually you roll out what you do, basically, the basics of what you do uh for the most part. You don't try to come out and throw the kitchen sink of all your adjustments and all of your rotation adjustments and you know, cute plays and different attacks. You let game one play out, win or lose, and you take that information in, and you say, "Okay, now let's do this." Okay, we this we have to do this. Like, it's some things you have to gonna have to change, you know. And so, do you, do you get more excited
0: going into a game one than a game two? Like, as a coach, are you are you so nervous about going? Like- I think
1: you just you're so locked in, man. I think it's I think I know for me, once the series starts, I'm just in like this this, this, this tunnel and I'm just so locked in on just how do I beat this team in front of me? And uh, I don't know if it's nerves as much as it is. It's a mindset that you just get locked into in a zone. You get locked into where all you think about is that team, their personnel, the moves they're going to make, the film you're watching you you just feeding this, uh, you know, this information into your brain. And so, you know, I would say probably it's, it's more of an edge than nerves and you know, I'm sure Spo is well on that edge. Uh, you know, trying to figure out how to crack this this code to this Goliath.
0: When LeBron talks about Spo, he he says he's the most prepared coach. Like, what does that mean? When someone says you're the most prepared coach, is um, what does that mean when you hear that from a player?
1: That means um, before you play an opponent. Well, even let's back it up. That means that systematically you put in things that fits your personnel, that can attack whatever teams throw at you. Uh, now, does that always work with what you have? No. But if you've got good enough players, you can have enough things in the toolkit to be ready for whatever a team throws at you. But when you talk about who that other team is, knowing that team, knowing what they do uh, inside and out, spoh got them and he can articulate that to this team as well as anybody and he can put them in the situations that will get them ready for what they're about to face as well as anybody now as it comes to the next level of it which is uh you know getting ready for a game and going into a game and him having his own package of things that he has studied watched all of this stuff so that okay, if this starts to happen, I know I can go to this. If this starts to happen, I know I can run this. And he's got it mapped out situationally, you know, and, okay, three seconds left, we're running this. You know, he really has it structured. And uh, it was great for me to learn from him and get that, uh, you know, that type of attention to detail and preparation and things like that. And so, you know, that's ultimately what LeBron is saying is that Spo won't cheat the team. He's not going to cheat the guys when it comes to giving them everything he has to let them know this is what you're facing and this is how we're going to beat them.
0: Yeah, because in, the, in this game, he, uh, I think his distinct game plan was if Bam is in foul trouble or if he's going to be out of the game, we're going to go small. We're going to go small with Solomon Hill, with Jay Crowder, uh, Derek Jones Jr. And um, instead of going matching up he Mm -hmm. decided to go match down or size down. And I thought that was interesting because, you know, for, for the Lakers, I think I I thought they were going to go a lot of zone in game one, simply because of the three point shooting weakness of the Lakers is that they, they're not a great three point shooting team, but with both by percentage and by just, you know, what they like to get to, but then they shot the crap out of ball. I mean, they were at one point, I think 11 for 16 from downtown. So I always, I always wonder in, in the coach's shoes, do you look at that and say, all right, we're, we're going to live with those shots. They're not going to hit 11 for 16 from downtown again. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Or is it just like, we have to watch the film to see whether those were actually good shots and whether that's repeatable. Like maybe they're just got 11 really wide open shots. I'll tell you, you what, they got
1: shots. some, they got 11 really good looks. I can't remember That's the problem, right? That's the problem. Like, that's where, see, Spoh's not going to skip steps in how he addresses what happened. There's no, he's not into the whole, we hope they miss theory. Like, they got proven shooters over there. It's not like the guys that's had a rough shooting year are non-shooters. You're talking about Danny Green, Contavious Mm -hmm. Caldwell-Pope. Right. Caruso.
0: Kuzma is not as good as a three point shooter as people think, but he's broad and
1: streaky. A.D. can make three like this. It's not like these guys aren't capable people like these guys have done it. So I know Spo is going to look at that film and look at the open threes they got and say, okay, this is what we could have done better. How do we how do we eliminate half of those, you know, and, and really analytically figure out how to chop off points that they didn't have to give up? And uh, I just know that that's the way Spole's going to approach it. Uh, He's not going to say, yeah, we're going to live with that. It's just no way he's going to – he's not going down like that, where he's just giving guys shots and and hoping they miss. Like, he's going to put in uh, some distinct adjustments that hopefully will – Cut that one, he's gonna want to cut the number of attempts down, but he's definitely gonna want to cut down the number of open looks that they get in those scenarios.
0: So when you look at Tyler Hero's minus 35 in the box score, you feel for the kid because he's in his first NBA finals and he's you know got that number next to him. And I I do think it's a bit unfair to put everything on Tyler Hero uh, coming off the bench and just everything falling apart, but it was Clearly part of the Lakers game plan to attack him and hunt for those switches to get, you know, one-on-one isos, whether it's LeBron or AD or whoever it was, to go right at Tyler Hero. So as a coach, how do you uh, combat that? Is it just, hey, you got to compete at a higher level, Tyler Hero, or is it we got we to gotta keep switching like the, the Celtics like to do with Kemba Walker?
1: Well, well, two things, you know, one, welcome to the league, kid. (laughs) No, no one remembers what you did last series. You know, everybody's looking at it like, so what? Let's keep doing it. Can you keep doing it? So this is something that's good for him. I mean, the great Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, airballed a bunch of times in Europe. I mean, in uh, Utah, uh, you know, when he was a young kid in in the playoffs and had some horrific basketball guys. And, you know, the, the, sometimes the plus minus is a little deceiving yep. uh, from the standpoint of it's a team number. It's not just he's out there just playing minus 35 basketball by himself. You know, it's four other guys out there helping minus 35 take place. So, But for him, I think it's going to be giving him uh, some ammunition from a coverage standpoint uh, that keeps him from being switched off from LeBron and AD um things that can keep him on his own man and, and uh, keep him matched up with a smaller guy uh there's a few things falling up could, could could do to to do that uh but it's also you're trying to do that against um uh, the, the the great dissector right the, the the guy that's just looking at what you're doing and going oh okay i see what you're doing now you don't want to switch bing 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 and now he's moving and trying to get other people's shots but I'm sure Spawn and them are right now figuring, okay, what is the absolute best coverage for none and what's going to be the absolute best coverage for Hero? Because those are the two guys that they're going to keep beating up and going after to create mismatches. And Duncan.
0: They they went at Duncan a lot. Really,
1: Duncan Robinson. Absolutely. Duncan Rob. All of those young guys who haven't been in those physical – like, and now all of a sudden they, the switches were great against other guys, but now all of a sudden they're switching against LeBron James, which is – that's scary stuff, you know. These guys are out on that island, so they're gonna, I, you know, I can see them doing some, some, some things, uh, te- you know, tactically that will, you know, hopefully protect those guys. But see, that's the difference in the series, and you know, obviously, I would love to see the Heat win this thing, and I'm, I'm all in with Spoke because you're talking 24 years of friendship, but the Heat are up against a monster. What we saw last night, and there is the difference between the two teams is that the heat don't really have anybody on the other side that they can pick out, you know, like they can say, Oh, we got to go after this guy. Right. You don't really want to go after a Caruso. He's tough. He can mm-hmm. guard. You ain't going after Rondo. You're not, you know what I mean? Like everybody else is big. Danny green. You're not going after him. Like, so the heat are really limited from a matchup attack standpoint to score points. That's why it's critical for them to get stops and get out in the open court because in the half court, they can't necessarily just pick on a guy. Um, And so where, you know, conversely, the Lakers can go, oh, okay, Duncan Robinson, you coming into this high pick with LeBron. Okay, this time is hero. Okay, uh, none, let's go. And if you switch that small guy on him and you don't have anything, you know, coming to get the ball out of that guy's hands or something, that's just going to be a bucket. And so I'm sure Spohr and them are are in that trench trying to crack that code because ultimately if the Heat win this whole thing, it's going to be winning close games and, you know, making the games as ugly as possible and squeaking out like 2.3 point point wins. You know, I just don't see the Heat blowing the Lakers out. I could be wrong. They can come out and blow them out by 20 this game. But I think it's going to be – They got to win this like a junkyard dog and just scrap their way to four games because you can just see a distinct talent difference uh, when you talk about the superstars and then the stars. Like Jim Butler's is a star. Battle of is a star. LeBron James and Anthony Davis are superstars, and you can see it. It's a clear, defining difference in in the players. And so now it's going to come down to how much of that bulldog, Pitbull attitude can Jimmy and Bam muster up to even out that gap in the talent, you know, can they compete so hard that it evens it out and, and really, you know, makes it into a scrap and, you know, as you have to be seen, but I know the heat won't lay down. I know those guys, their, their character makeup is, is to bite your ankles, to to cut you, to scratch your eyes, whatever they could do to, to, to win the fight. So I expect them to play a lot better in game two. All right, let's take a quick break to hear
0: about a podcast that should be in your rotation. This is Mike Tarico introducing you to Sports Uncovered.
1: When I lose the sense of motivation and the sense of to prove something as a basketball player, it's time for me to move away from the game of basketball. Hold on
0: quote, unquote,
1: I'm back. I'm back. The two-word facts from Michael Jordan announcing the most famous comeback in NBA history. That's the
0: most impactful two words ever.
1: Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Sports Uncovered
0: for free wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, back to the conversation. I was watching film of that Dallas series a lot this week just because I was, you know, going down memory lane, the, the zone defense and stuff, and just looking at how different the game was and spo and, and LeBron and D-Wade and that whole thing. LeBron, I mean... How do you explain it? What happened in that series with LeBron?
1: Well, I, I guarantee you, if you talk to Spo, he would say the same thing. Like, everybody puts that series on LeBron. Like, Spo and I, we shoulder a lot of that. Like, we feel like systematically. Yeah,
0: but no one wants to blame the assistant coach for that.
1: No, <laughs> uh, I, I was as much a part of the game planning, and I was in the, I was in the war room. So I take, I take as much of that blame as anybody. You know, and it sticks with me. Some of the things that I, I, you know, looking back on it, I, sport, I both. We like, man, we should have, we should have, we should have. Like what? Which, like what? Like what are? Which what did we something? ended up doing? Well, we just changed everything. You know, we opened the floor. You know, before we always ran our bigs. We played two bigs most of the time, and we ran one big to the strong side post. You know, every play, and the trail big was always set in the pick and roll. Whereas the ch- the biggest change we make, which now everybody is doing now, is five out and we opened the floor and and you know Don Nelson had done it years before A few teams had done it in the past but for this generation and you know I really believe Spo was the guy who brought five out to like where now everybody's doing it you know what I mean and like really the swing actions and the double aways and all of that stuff and so um, that was a huge change from that series. What we learned in that series going into the future uh, was opening the floor, and then obviously playing uh, a percentage of minutes with what we would, what we considered our small ball, and trying to put you know our best five players on the floor. Uh, with you, and Mike, possible. you're saying? Yeah, we started it, the next year. We started playing Shane at the four. Shane, yeah, yeah. You know, Mike Miller, Braun, CB at the five. You know, and, so and not opening, putting
0: traditional positions in a box. You're saying let's just get our best five out there.
1: Get our best five out. We took we'd take all the small guards off the floor, you know. So where we're going, we were going lineups like LeBron at the one, uh, Dwayne, Mike, Shane, C B. Um, you know, all big wings, athletic, long, smart, switchable, and we started switching. That was the last element of what we were that we added to it after the Dallas series. But the way we were playing offense at the time did not help LeBron's case in getting into the paint. And that was Bron's game. Bron was a paint guy. And if every time you go to attack, the big is standing there with his defender, I mean, people can kill him and blame him. and But at the end of the day, we shoulder that with him, you know, and, and we take that responsibility with him. and And, you know, the next, I remember vividly, the next morning after we lost, we were in there before the sun came up, spo and I. Red eyes, teary-eyed, like, what are we going to do? Like, we can't go through this again. And he was like, he handed me the marker. He was like, get on the board, start drawing. <laughs> and I just start putting stuff on the board of what I thought we needed to do. And he was like, yep, nope, yep, nope. Yep. And he was like, F that. We're not going through this again. And it was just like, I'm with you, brother. Like, let's do it. And obviously from there on it all, you know, you saw how LeBron played after that one, he went back into his cave and dealt with his own self reflections. But we also tried to build instead of putting him into what we had been doing, we put what we had been doing around him now. And we built everything around him, um, you know, and. Cause he you guys know, had, two, you had two titles later. <laughs> yeah. It, it worked so. out. I would say, (laughs) Uh,
0: I mean, you guys had big Z damp. I mean, you were trying to get big uh, Joel Anthony. I, I, my first sit down interview, like one-on-one with a, with an NBA players with Joel Anthony at um, uh, Rosa Mexicana. I love it. (laughs) And we sat down and he just loved the guacamole there. So we talked and just, you know, his evolution into a player. But like, when you look back, you're like, man, the heat had Chris Bosch at, at the four and, and LeBron at the three and how many times was it you know the opportunity there to go the know, other way yeah and and i think it's hard i mean retrospectively hindsight is 2020 look at where the nba is now but that's where the nba was at that time
1: yeah here's the crazy thing though you know as, as much as now you look back and say man that small ball that first year of team was our best defensive team i think i thought it was, and a big part of that was joel anthony He was, as for whatever his limitations were, offensively, he blocked everything. He was the best trapping big by far. He was the best transition big. He could switch. He had – Keith Askins had developed him defensively as well as I've ever seen a big get developed. I mean, it ain't even – I don't even have a second place to – what Keith Askins did with Joel Anthony to make him the defender that he was. The amount of time they put in, the, the amount of film, the amount of drill work, and, you know, no one ever – he was so unsung, but he could have easily been on one of those defensive teams if people really was paying attention to what was going on with our team. They was just so enamored with all of the the, the, the names. Blitzing the
0: high pick and roll with, with Joel Anthony blew up everything
1: everything you could not come off a high pick and roll against joel anthony comfortably and the fact as soon as you let the ball go to get off that trap he was so fast at getting out of there and getting back to the rim that you might as well it was like how teams look when they switch now because he was so fast he kept everybody at home and he never got enough credit uh people always was just bashing about his offense but defensively he was elite and Keith Askins deserves a big chunk of that. And he's a sweet kid. And, you know, he, he was a big part of our DNA, too, uh, of what we were about, self-made guys, grinding it out, toughness. He really fit that mold. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed coaching Joel. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was something. What was guy, right? Rosa Mexicana in the, in, on Brickell, off of Brickell over there. In the,
0: in the, yeah, uh, it wasn't the one Mary on Lincoln Road. Yeah, Mary it was, Brickle. It was in the Mary Brickell. Um,
1: <laughs> Across from P.F. Changs.
0: That's right. <laughs> That's right. And I, I, what else? Yeah, um, yeah, they had a little movie theater there. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, like like Joel, Joel learned basketball from a book, literally a book. He he was a football player in Canada, and uh, it was an Alonzo Morning book that he had picked up at the local library because some dude saw him at the big and tall store in, in Canada and was like, yo, what, what are you doing playing football? Like You're 6'8". Like, get out there and play basketball. And so he, he was in high school – he picked up a basketball for the first time reading like Alonzo Mourning's book about how to be like a real big man. And like, that's why he looks so mechanical offensively because he had just started playing basketball. Like he, he couldn't, I mean, the entry passes were like, you just had to laugh sometimes. It was so hard because the dude, you know, this, this wasn't a guy who grew up playing the sport. So I'll always think remember to do what
1: he did now. So to think about that, like to, to come from like nothing, that late in playing in your in your adolescence to just become an NBA player. Starting you, in NBA Finals and being in the NBA finals, yeah. you know, and, and, and a credit to think about the heat and from the standpoint of the heat seeing the, the the beauty of his game and what he could bring to it instead of all of the blemishes that everybody else saw. You know, the heat. That's what I'm saying. When I tell you the heat have an incredible knack, and this is Chet Cameron and all of those guys in the front office of identifying the right traits to help winning. You know, everybody knows who the talent is. They're like, oh, that guy's gonna be a great player. This guy's gonna be, you know, but they hunt down those guys that everybody kind of just glosses over and they see winning traits in those guys and they get them and they, they really drill home what this kid is gonna need to be able to help them win basketball. And that's how they go about their development. And it has been such a huge success over all of these years. And Joel Anthony, here you got this raw guy, didn't play growing up. They see it, they develop it, and he ends up helping us, you know, be a championship team. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool and, and a great story when you think about, you know, coming from a football playing background to that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember that summer, Spo, and I wrote about this this week, um, Spo visited with Calipari in Lexington with I think it was uh, Adam Simon um, mm-hmm. who was the director of player personnel at the time so he tags along to go to like meet up with Cal- coach Cal at Lexington and they see Anthony Davis for the first time and Spo was watching looking for the the big man in the paint and he's like where's AD where's this guy and Adam Simon's like he's right over there running the offense and Spo's like oh oh this oh no like, this, this guy is
1: ridiculous. Best big in our league. To me, you know, when you talk about all-around game, who's better than him? He's so Offensively good. and defense. I mean, the Joker is phenomenal. But when you talk about the total package, AD is the best. AD, I mean, this guy was a point guard growing up. Now think about that. Conversely, here's Joel Anthony, never touched the ball. <laughs> this guy grew up with the ball in his hands his whole life running offense, getting people organized, doing all this stuff, 6'3", you know, cutting through gaps. And, and then all of a sudden he goes eight inches, nine inches, and he's, you know, this super freak with the same skill set, you know. And it's like, wow, you're getting to see – I mean, he, when you watch him out there, it's like, what do you do? When they like,
0: traded for AD, what did you – where
1: were you? What did you think? Oh, boy. That's all I thought. I thought. Oh, here we go. Cause I, you know, I was hoping we got him in New York. Like, cause we were in a lot of those discussions about being a potential landing spot for him. And so I'm in there like, please, let me get a, just give me any chance of getting this guy. Like
0: if I get a how AD, close, how close would you say you guys were?
1: I think it went pretty far. I think it went pretty far. I think the discussions went as far as they could possibly go. Um, you know, I wasn't in those meetings, but you're just playing. <laughs> yeah, our front office pushed pretty far. I don't know how much they put on the table to offer him because the hard part for us was, you know, he was going to be a free agent next year. And so, say you did give up five picks for him, there's still no necessarily guarantee that he's going to sign back with you. You know, he could still have ended up in LA and now we're sitting with no AD and no picks. And so, you know, what I think happened is that our people probably got the gut feeling that they weren't going to get a guarantee and had to make a tough decision on yeah. do they stay in the fight or not. But when I saw him go, once I saw him with LeBron, I'm like, that's a trophy. That's what I thought. I thought they, they should win it. And then Kawhi and Paul George teams up, and I'm like, oh, man, what's going
0: As an L.A. <laughs> guy, where, where are your allegiances between the Lakers and Clippers and what you saw, what happened this past year?
1: Well, I was a Laker fan growing up. I was, I mean, you just, the Clippers wasn't really that team. I
0: didn't know if you were going hipster on, like you were, you were deciding. No, hey, I wasn't really
1: crystalline it at all. It was, <laughs> I was all magic. Cause my dog, I told you one of my dogs is named Magic, you know, cause I'm a, Magic Johnson was like, he was everything to me. Like I was like, you know, I, I vividly remember multiple times my cousin having a friend take us through some of the catering entrances and stuffing us up at the top of the form. And I got to watch Lakers Showtime as a you know little kid for free. High they the snuck.
0: They sn- you snuck
1: in. You're saying? Yeah, we used to sneak into the forum all the time because our friends would work as ushers and caterers. You know, yeah, caterers, yeah. and so they would sneak us in. Oh, and give we, me
0: the, give me the whole oceans of let, like, how do you break in? Like, how did.
1: <laughs> no, we just slid in like that. No one's paying attention to the little kid that's just walking on by. They don't know if I'm related to somebody or, you know, I mean, my cousin just walking through. You like gotta, you, here's
0: the, here's the thing. You got to act like you belong.
1: You act like you belong. No, that's, that's exactly the, right. You don't,
0: you don't like get all nervous. You just, you walk right on through. Like you've we been there. walking after.
1: right through. I remember one time we got stopped and I had a hot dog and we had no tickets and like, my cousin was so good. He made such a big scene about it. They're like, where's your tickets at? And, and I'm like, doing this. And my cousin goes, you dummy. You had the tickets. Where are the tickets at? And they made, we made this big old fun. And they ended up letting us go sit out. They actually gave us better seats. <laughs> so oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll tell you what.
0: I'll take care of you guys.
1: Got On you, lower kids. level.
0: We got, we got you.
1: you. <laughs> and they hooked us up with, like, better seats and all, the whole deal. But that was, like, my childhood it was, like, uh, laker parades you know watching the laker showtime you know imitating magic johnson every day of my life like i literally at the park thought that's who i'm gonna be you know i'm gonna grow be six nine and i'm gonna be this point guard and and i just loved him I, I really like i just was like enamored with him and obviously uh, pat was like the coolest dude on the planet like slick back hair, money suits, never seen rattle, you know, he's got everything under control. And so the Lakers were the deal. And, you know, so it's just, it wasn't, uh, the Clippers just weren't there. It wasn't, it wasn't, a, it wasn't course, that type of, it was just, it was night and day when you talk about, that would be like the Bulls having like Sacramento as during Jordan's era, as their second team in the city, like, you know, a young sack team or something. Nah, you just don't see them when you see the Bulls running around all day. Yeah, but I grew so, up, yeah, I was a Laker guy through and through uh, growing. And I was, you know, I, and I had a soft spot for Philly. That was my, that was the, that was the traitor in me. I just, I love Philly's backcourt. Andrew Toney and Mo Cheeks, them dudes was, they were fantastic. And Bobby Jones and, and, and Caldwell Jones and, and, and Moses and Doctor. I mean, they had some squads. Uh, what was my man? Uh, who am I forgetting? What's the white guy play forward for? Him? Long, lanky, athletic. Oh, uh, Billy was it? Billy, Billy Cunningham? No, Billy Cunningham was older, but it was somebody else. I missed. I can't believe I'm forgetting this name. Somebody's gonna hit you with the name of well, their, their. Why, Philly? Like the, did you just like read about him, watch him, like? Watch them because they were always, you know, the, the Lakers. My first game I ever watched was the NBA finals when Magic Johnson played center against Philly. So I'm watching that on a black and white TV. And I was a little kid. I think I was five. And I vividly remember that game. Like vividly remember watching Magic Johnson play center and holding My cousin explaining this to me. And so that was my first introduction to like basketball. Mm. And immediately mom, I fell in love. And so I'm watching Dr. J during the regular season, doing all of this stuff, you know, and, and the Lakers are doing what they're doing, and so I ended up growing a, just an incredible love for the game through those two teams and trying to imitate players doing different things on those two teams.
0: What you, I think, who you're thinking of is Bobby Jones.
1: Bobby Jones, good yeah. grief! That's how I know him. Bobby I was Jones. like Billy, uh, but Billy, Bobby, Bobby, yeah, yeah, Bobby Jones, Bobby Jones, Bobby Jones, Bobby Jones. That man was a bad boy. Bobby, another Jones. Carolina guy, right? Oof, can he play? He was he he could play now. He were, he can run. He can defend. Multi position. You know he had all of those things, and so no, those that that's that was my literally my introduction to the game was was NBA finals. I think 79-80, Magic Johnson Kareem goes down. Magic Johnson takes over as center, and I fell in love. I was like, this is it. This is this it's over be. after that. Like you I can't gotta play this. I got. And then I saw him on the floats after they won it, my mom took me down to the to, to see the parade and I'm like looking at them and they're like, you know, they're big to me now when I stand next to them. So I hear it is I'm this little kid and I'm seeing these giants on this float, Bob McAdoo and Kareem and Magic. You're talking about big people. These are six nine, six ten. And it's it was done for me. I'm like, I'm doing that. I'm gonna be on the float. I'm winning the title. I'm doing, I'm, a, I'm coaching the Lakers. Like I had this whole, <laughs> I'm playing for the Lakers first and I'm going coach the Lakers. And I, got, I had this whole plan mapped out in my head. But one thing I knew, just, and it's what UCLA did to us and what the, the Lakers in that time did to us was they made us feel like you. it was win or nothing. Like you only Championship to win. or bust. Yeah. Championship or bust. You only supposed to win a title. So my high school team, we were number one in the state for most of the season until we lost a kid in them in the state finals, we were fifth in the country and we won cities two out of three years and went all three years. And so, uh, you know, in our mind that was what we were supposed to be doing because that's what the Lakers and UCLA was doing. So that's what we supposed to do. So. Yeah. What was the first time you met Pat? First time I met Pat was in Miami when I got the uh, the internship. And I think it was, like, after, like, a preseason game. He was coming down the hall, and he just poked his head in to, like, tell us to get our – you know, gave us, like, five edits to get it done. And then Spo just kind of like, hey, coach, I want to meet our new intern. He thought my name was intern for like that whole year. So like we met, we, I never talked to him about my old, the old Laker stuff, but I, you know, I just told him I'm from LA, blah, blah, blah. But then when I came back and he realized, oh, I remember who Fizz is now. Fizz is the, the intern that was always buried in the corner with the VHS tapes. And, and then we started talking and once we started to really get into, like he started to get to know me as an assistant coach, it was, you know, we started getting into those LA stories. And even my mom even sent out, she took some old uh, some old pictures from the parades and she put them all on a disc and sent it to me. And I gave it to Pat and he popped it in and he was just like, oh my God. He was like, look, wow. how, young, look how young we were. And look at like, he's like, I remember that. And we're going to turn down here and look at magic and look at dude, dude's so young. And like, it was so cool for me to have that moment of time to say, hey man, look, you know, I was there. I was right there. Like, he's like, can you believe that? He's like, look at this. Like, look look at where we are right now. Could you, you was a little kid out there? And I'm like, yep. I was like, it's, it's amazing what can take place when you put your mind to it and how things work out, you know? And that that's, is just one of my, he's like, literally, I, look, I lean on him like a father figure. Like, when I have big decisions to make, when I have things going on, adversity hits me, anything, family-wise, career-wise, I call Pat. Like, it's, that's the, like, the first call I make is, and I just go through the Pat, Andy, Ryan Rawls, Dean Like I just go through, if I have anything going on, those four guys I know will give me uh, raw, you know, just the real talk. And that's you know when you know you got a core people that's always going to be real with you. Um, that's a good, it's an unbelievable thing to have. Uh, and he's the head of that snake for me.
0: Man, so like this series is is childhood versus adulthood. Like you're oh,
1: I'm so torn. torn. The only reason my loyalty is Spo is I owe Spo everything in my life. The 24 years of friendship, he's influenced my basketball acumen and how I see the game more than anybody else. He's given me the most incredible opportunities. He's allowed, you know, Spo took me to the Philippines with him, we've gone to the Philippines three times. I've gotten to know his family in a way that I'm family. And so I have, there's no, there's no, I can't have split loyalties with the with the Lakers right now. Like that is my guy. I'm in the trench with him, uh, come hell high water. And uh, you know, I'm I'm just so happy that people are finally recognizing his greatness and the simplicity of it all. But it's not, it's like my, my marriage, Counselor told me once, it's simple, but it's not simplistic. <laughs> I've carried that. Amen. And, it's the, and those words really define spoke, right? He, it, he does things simply. He keeps things. He doesn't want attention. His, his, the teams are no nonsense. There's no extra, All is simple, but it's not simplistic. Everybody can't do it. Everybody can't pull it off. Everybody can't push those buttons. And so he's just somebody that you root for, but at the same time, uh, it's undeniable his talent level and his commitment to being uh, a winner.
0: Yeah, they're not going to lay down in game two no matter what. They're, they're not, not going to lay down in game if two. If now, if the there's Lakers, no Bam
1: people, The Lakers might still beat the crap out of them. They ain't laying down, though. Like, this, you know, because, again, talent. When I watched that game last night, it's just such a – Difference when you see LeBron and AD out there than to anybody else on their team, and again, it's not to dog. I love Jimmy Butler. I love Bam Adebayo. Like who who couldn't love watching those guys? But when you talk about superstars, yikes! Like, (laughs) them dudes look like superstars, and and so the the Heat are gonna have to to fight. But I don't I don't see them. I don't see lay down being a part of the, the the deal. Like never was nah, I just can't see that, but it is definitely weird for me to see like not only like my childhood team against my my family, you know, but one of my family members is with my childhood team and LeBron and he's and he's playing against the family, so it's like so much involved in this uh. You know, and, you know, my family is killing me here in L.A. Like, everybody's like, what are you talking about? The Heat can't play with the Lakers. You a traitor. You know, you know, like, because my whole family's Laker fans. So I'm getting crushed uh, internally right now. But at the same time, like, I tell, my, I tell them the same thing. My, my rebuttal is this to the ones, my cousins and my media. Well, I recommend you start rooting for the Heat because the Heat are the reasons why I'm where I'm at. And they, they're the reasons I'm contributing to your uh your little funds that you need. <laughs> so <laughs> the Lakers did not help with this. So <laughs> so you better start thinking about where your loyalties lie before you start popping off. <laughs> you enjoy me picking up the tab for that dinner yeah, <laughs> yeah. then you better thanks say boat. go heat yeah <laughs> thanks, thanks oh and pat for that like you better start <laughs> saying go heat so no yeah, but it's actually fun because of that because i you know my whole family's involved in this and everybody you know my mom my brother everybody knows spoke everybody you know has has gotten because we all rode the floats together and games and we play in la and they all hang out and stuff so you know, my whole family is invested in, in this series from the standpoint. They want – they really want Spoke to win, but they're still Laker. They can't help themselves. They're still Laker people at the end of the day.
0: If there is a way for the Heat to win, but also the the Lakers to win the trophy somehow, I don't know how that would work. <laughs> but that doesn't – that's, that's the great thing Everybody about sports.
1: Everybody would be happy, right? So, no, I think it's uh, – and then you add – I think the other part of it that you add that that – I just think just brings such a, a incredible uh, moment of history to it as the Kobe deal, you know, and just that this year was, you know, with COVID and Kobe, you know, what a what a unbelievable twenty twenty NBA season, you know, and, and and you know the Laker team and what they've had to go through with all of that and and weathering that and still supporting Kobe's family and and doing it for Kobe and there's so many different storylines in this it's, it's really a, a, an amazing NBA finals
0: I mean no disrespect to you Fizz, but can you believe you're a head coach this season like it's it's crazy how how much has happened since the the tip-off of of the 2019-2020 oh, season I
1: did a recap not too long ago of like just you know the fact that the beginning of the season we were coaching the New York Knicks and you know, when I got let go, obviously it was brutal for us because I I, I would have did anything to make that work, you know, to, to get the Knicks back. And so it was really a brutal time for us. And, you know, we moved. Uh, we didn't even have a place out in L.A. We just got on a plane and just wanted to go look at places. So we leave New York, I don't know, early January. And a couple of weeks later, our neighborhood was New Rochelle, got shut down for COVID and got was totally, uh, quarantined. Yeah. Remember that was the first neighborhood in New York. And that was where, right with my neighborhood, where I lived, I knew neighbors. I was talking to neighbors. That was like, I grew up
0: 20 minutes from New Rochelle. So I know, I know very well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they were like, we can't leave the house. We can't do this. It was, it was, it was, you know, and I'm thinking like, wow, like how things kind of work out, you know? And then I'm in LA and I'm, I'm, I wake up, and we were, we, were, we were renting a house for, like, an Airbnb. And for some reason, my wife woke up and said, God, it's foggy today. Like, the Valley is just, just foggy today. Oh, my God. And I'm like, yeah. I look out the window, and I'm like, man, that's, it's really bad out there. And sure enough, Amina Hussein calls me from ESPN yeah. and says, have you seen the news? And I'm like, no. I turned on the news, and the helicopter had crashed, you know, right up the freeway from where we were at. And they hadn't announced it was Kobe yet. And sure enough, it was Kobe. And I had to do ESPN that day in the Staples Center Plaza, where ESPN is at down there at LA Live, and talk about Kobe. And I had just gotten back to LA. So, like, that whole transition of losing my job to moving to COVID and Kobe. And then right after that, Dwayne retires, COVID shut down. March, the NBA shuts down the season. And that was it. And I'm, I'm like, damn, this is crazy. This is all happening within, you know, the year of 2020. You know, and so, so it was that, just a real When you life. saw the
0: fog, that was, that was Kobe? That,
1: that was that, that morning. So where, where the house was sitting, we, sat, we were in Sherman Oaks. And so, it, you know, when you know in LA, when you, when you start to drive north and you get past like Beverly Hills and all of that, you go over the hill, on the other side of that hill is the valley, which is Sherman Oaks and Seen you know, North Hollywood, all that. So we sat up on the hill looking back towards over the valley. And it was just the eeriest fog. I mean, it was so foggy, you couldn't see anything. And it was like a full marine layer of fog just sitting in the valley. And my wife just, for whatever reason, she was like, God, it's so foggy. And I'm like, yeah, it is. And, like, it couldn't have been 10 minutes after she said that. My phone, I'm like, what's going on? And it's like, turn on the news. You got to see this. They think Kobe Bryant is dead. And sure enough, and then Dwayne hit me, Dwayne Wade hit me right away. He's like, is it true? Is it true? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to try to find out. And then we got the news through ESPN and I hit him back and he's like, oh my God. And we just, you know, everybody's crying and like devastated. And that day ESPN called me in and I was on, I think the first day I was on, it might've been with like Ice Cube and Richard We was on the jump together. And it was just sitting there, it was just so surreal because the whole plaza was full.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, they had
1: Kobe and Gigi's face everywhere on the monitors and stuff. And, and, and I, AM. you know, famous. I'm walking through the crowd and conduct, consoling people. Like people are crying, Coach, why did this have to happen? This is the worst thing that's ever happened and da 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 And I'm just like, oh my God, this is really, this this is real. You know, because in my childhood, in 91, Magic announced he had HIV. That was devastating for me. Like, I'm, you, you could tell he's, he's your Kobe. Like, Magic I was, was my your Kobe. Kobe. And so, we in LA, that was like, because then when you said you had HIV, we just thought you were going to die. Right. Like, that was like the deal. Like, early 90s, HIV was so like, it was like COVID. It was like this unknown. We don't know how to stop it. And we thought Magic was going to die. So, for us, that was Kobe. But for then Kobe to happen was just like, I just can't believe. Like, this is so devastating, you know, that this is actually happening. And then, you know, obviously the rest of the year, that how it's played out, you know, with, with Black Lives Matter and with George Floyd getting killed and, you know, the way COVID's been handled. And it's just been – and so for this – for the NBA to do this bubble the way they have, and the storylines that's all surrounding it and stuff like that. It, it's just giving us a moment to like, ah, thank you, you know? And people should be thankful for these guys and the risk that they were willing to take to perform and entertain, you know, while we're going through such a difficult time. And I'll tell you how a year rounds out. My son, <laughs> as crazy as it sounds, is December 6th was one of the worst days of my life last year. Getting fired from the Knicks was like, you know, I had some slight depression going on because it was just like I finally got to a place that I really wanted like this is it and I couldn't do it I couldn't get over the hump and so December 6th when I got let go was just like that I had it on my calendar and sure enough we go in and my wife and I are pregnant with our first son and we're talking to the doctor and she said well your baby's due on December 6th So it goes to show you what a year can bring you, you know, where that date was just such a devastating day for me. You know, now it's a day that I, I, I'm looking forward to and It just brings me so much joy to even think about, you know, but you talk about a year, (laughs) you know, 2020 into 2019 into 2020, that's it. That's we've, we've witnessed, um, I don't know if we'll ever see anything like this again. I hope we never see nothing right. like this again. I, Man, I, you know, I, you're I really, wearing,
0: a, you're wearing a notorious RBG shirt right now on R- Tuesday, on Tuesday <laughs> night. No, it was yeah. Tuesday night. My wife and I decided not to watch the, the, uh, uh, the debate. Good for and, you. And we just turned on RBG. Cause she, I had seen it before, but she hadn't yet. And so I was like, let's, awesome. let's, let's watch that documentary. And it hey, was wow. like, it, it was, it was incredible. And secondly, like Joe Biden was a, a central figure in that documentary and in her life. And so it was, it was a wild thing to watch, but just to, I mean, this year has been between her passing David Stern, Kobe Bryant. I mean, you go on down the
1: line. I can't even John Lewis. Yep. John Lewis died. Think about that. John Lewis, the greatest civil rights leader right now that was still alive. Him and, uh, uh, who am I thinking about right now? CT Vivian, him and CT Vivian both died this year. You know that we we lost some some we lost towering people. We lost we lost you know pillars of our society uh, when we need them probably more than ever. Right? We need RBG more than ever right now. Uh, and I just you know. But what I do think is things happen for a reason and this eerie. How it works out but i think her and john lewis both say, you know what this ain't our fight no more you young people got to take this on now we tired <laughs> and 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 we've we've done all we can so now you know what it's on y'all and, and step up to the plate and so that's that's why i'm active I'm, I'm i love seeing what our young are protesting and fighting the fight what a conversation
0: fizz thank you um been quite a year and now we're in the nba finals and we're talking basketball talking just on court off court everything that's going on so i appreciate you um and love to have you back sometime to whenever the next season starts Absolutely. but this has been great man
1: i'm in i'm in man you know that anytime brother we got a lot of history together. so who would have knew i could have wrote this movie
0: All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Show Podcast. I want to give a big shout out to David Fisdale for joining me. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It would be a big help. And until next time, please stay safe and enjoy the NBA Finals.